Well, good morning, everyone. I'm Pastor Allen. We're glad that you're here. Hopefully, you're in the Christmas spirit by now. And uh, it's kind of a special time of the year. People seem to be a little nicer. Uh, you hear Christmas carols, which are hymns, in the stores and every place you go, and it's uh, it's just it's just different. And then we hit winter time. But anyway, uh, enjoy uh, the Christmas season. We're in a series called Fear Not, and it's about three encounters people had in the Christmas story with actually angels. And this was something that the angel said to all three of them, or groups of people. Talked about Mary last week. We're going to talk about shepherds next week. We're talking about Joseph today. And our topic is fear of what people think about me. So, how many of you are concerned what people think about you? Raise your hand. How many of you are concerned about what people think about you? And the rest of you are so concerned you wouldn't raise your hand. <laughs> exactly. Everybody's concerned about what people think about them. Nobody likes to be hated. Everybody likes to be liked. I like people to laugh at my jokes and listen to me talk. And, you know, you like people to like your outfits and your hairstyle. And my wife just colored her hair again. Everybody's commenting on, you know, what color her hair is, you know. Hopefully people like it. I like it. So that's what's important, right? That I like it. Um, but it's a concern we all have. What people think about us. <clears throat> now, how or can you deal with the fear about what people think about you? And we're going to look at Joseph's battle. And it's a real battle between what he's going to find out God wants him to do and what people are going to think about him because of what he is about to do. So, uh, this, uh, this story is that Matthew records for us and uh, so we're going to look at it in Matthew chapter 1 pretty familiar for most people if not uh, I think you'll enjoy this story so this is how Jesus the Messiah was born now this is huge <clears throat> the Jewish people <clears throat> were waiting for over 600 years but we're going to see a prophecy that was 600 years old uh, for this Messiah to come this promised one this anointed one this deliverer can you imagine our country's not even that old. For all those hundreds of years waiting and waiting and waiting. And so this is what's happening. In fact, the end of the Old Testament is 400 years before the New Testament. So for 400 years, they hadn't heard anything from God at all. And so now the Messiah is coming. So this is huge. How Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. We talked about this, I think, last week. Engagements were serious back then. The only way you can break an engagement was either by divorce or by death. And you were considered a widow. If, if, if the, your spouse or future spouse died, you were considered a widow, a widower, uh, during this engagement period. But before this marriage took place, during the engagement period, at least a year, <clears throat> while she was still a virgin, meaning Mary, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now we understand if you're not a churchgoer or a religious person, this sounds absurd, ridiculous. I understand that. But if you're going to believe in a God that created everything, I think you should be able to believe in a God that could do this, right? And so, for several reasons this is important. One, because it's prophesied, and another because Jesus couldn't be born into sin or he couldn't be our Savior. So, there's, there's important reasons for this. And most of us here would believe this is actually what happened. Now, can you imagine the conversation Mary has with Joseph? Um, got some good news and some bad news. Who likes to hear the bad news first? I like to hear the bad news first. Anyway, uh, bad news, I'm pregnant and you're not the dad. How would you like to hear that in your engagement? 
But, but, but Joseph, don't, you don't have to worry. It's okay. God's the Father. <laughs> right, yeah. We, I know how the beer birds and the bees work. It doesn't work that way. So as Joseph's perspective, he's looking at this woman that he's being engaged, is engaged to. She's either crazy or just an out-and-out -out liar, right? That's the only two alternatives you have in this situation. And so, this situation is going to mark him for life. Either he's going to marry this woman that's either messing around with somebody else or messed around with him before, which was a no-no, obviously, in their society, or he's going to divorce her, and now he's a divorced person, which makes him less likely to find a, a future, future spouse. So this is a, he's between a rock and a hard place here, right? So like most of us, he's probably going to bail on this situation. And that's what he contemplates doing. So that's what we see in the next verse. Joseph, to his, to his gay, was a righteous man. He, being, he, was a, he was a religious man. He was a good man. He wanted to do what was right, what was best, honorable man. He didn't want to disgrace her in public. He was a nice person. He didn't want to embarrass her or make the situation any worse. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. He could have had it, brought her to court. She could have been humiliated. She could actually have been stoned. They, they weren't really doing it anymore, but according to the law, and being a religious person, he believed in the law, but he also believed in grace and mercy and kindness, and so that's what he was going to do here. So brings to mind a, a, a big lesson that, that, that you and I need to learn in life, and it's this. Pleasing God often means disappointing people. Pleasing God often means disappointing people. Family, friends, other people. Sometimes they just don't agree with us. I think more than, more, most of the time, it's just they don't agree with us. Uh, the choices we made, the decisions we made, the uh, lifestyle we live, or whatever it might be. So you just need to be aware of that. Pleasing God often disappoints people. Um, as he considered this, next verse, uh, like most of us, he's debating this in his mind, thinking the alternatives, what options are there. And as I said, it's basically be disgraced and marry her or be disgraced and divorce her. So not too many good options. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Now, as difficult it was for Mary to believe this, can you imagine how difficult it was for Joseph to believe this? Mary knew she was pregnant, and she knew she hadn't been with a man. Joseph had no way of knowing that. He was ascended of David, which was important. That Messiah had to be ascended of David. Both Mary and Joseph were descendants of David. Uh, the angel said, do not be afraid. Angels are apparently scary. And so they always said, don't be afraid. But in this case, it was more a directed fear at what? Marrying Mary. <laughs> and entering into this kind of difficult, disgraceful uh, situation. So the angel's saying, okay, don't worry about it. Don't get upset about it. Don't need to be afraid to take Mary to be your wife. And he reiterates what he had, the angel had told uh, Mary. The child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. What she told you was true, all right? As hard as it might be to believe, you can believe this is true. Then he goes on and says, she has have a son. So four sonograms. And it was going to be a boy, right? And he even gave him the name. You are to name him Jesus. 
Names had meaning back then, and this name Jesus means the Lord saves. So for he, this baby that's going to be born, is going to save his people from their sins. This is huge. I can imagine the emotions. <laughs> we think these characters in the Bible sometimes is different than us. No, they're just like us. Can you imagine the emotion that Joseph is going through at this time? Well, wow, an angel just spoke to me. That would be pretty emotional, right? Uh, wow, but Mary has told me that, that, that's really going to be, that, that's true. But wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm still going to be disgraced. People are going to laugh at me and make fun of me. And, and, you know, I'm a carpenter. I might not have any employment. People won't want to give me their, job, their work, whatever. So, why does it matter what people, why does it matter that we fear what people may think about us? Came across this. I thought it was really good. Being obsessed with what people think about you is the quickest way to forget what God thinks about you. And this is where we drift, don't we? We don't drift to the opposite. We drift away, away from what God thinks about us because he's not visible to, to focusing what people think about us. And so consequently, that's a struggle we all have. So is there a solution, I guess, to this drifting? And the opposite is just as true. Being obsessed with what God thinks about you is the quickest way, maybe the best way, maybe the only way to forget what people think about you. You say it this way sometimes. You, you only need to live your life for an audience of one. That being God. Now let's just think about it logically. Can you please everyone anyway? Can you? No, it's impossible. If you're a Democrat, you're going to please the Republicans. If you're a Republican, please the Democrats. You're not going to do it. Football season, you know, if you're a Raven fan like myself and you're a Steeler fan, we have Steeler fans here, we, you know, <laughs> we don't like the other team. All right. uh, so you can't please everyone anyway. So you're going to disappoint people. You're not going to make people happy, some people. <clears throat> On the other hand, if you stay in the middle, you don't usually please anyone, right? In fact, sometimes that's worse. Everybody hates you. But here's the good news. Everybody likes good news, right? Here's the good news. You can please God. You can please God. There's a Bible verse that says this. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. The implication is what then? With faith or by faith, you can please God. And we're going to see in Joseph, he's going to be a man of faith. He's going to do what God says, which pleases God. So you can please God. I can please God. So we talk about these stories, we talk about Joseph, we talk about Mary. The important thing to remember, who is the main character in all these stories? God is, <laughs> all right? It's God's story. It's his story, history, his story. So how, on your outline, how do we live for God instead of for people? Let me give you a couple ways. <clears throat> First, if you're not ready to be criticized for your obedience to God, you're not ready to be used by God. Let me say that again because it's not easy to swallow. If you're not ready to be criticized for your obedience to God, you're not ready to be used by God. We see it in the story of Joseph. He's going to be criticized for this decision. Of course, he's going to raise the Son of God. It's true of you, your life and my life. When we make decisions... We read something in God's Word, we hear something at church, whatever it is, somebody, some believer sharing something with us, and we change something in our lifestyle. We make decisions 
They're not always popular. Maybe you've been in the party scene, and all of a sudden you realize you shouldn't be in the party scene, and tell your friends, I'm not going to be partying anymore, and they're going to think, what? You're crazy. You're going to miss out on this fun. You say, well, no, you know, I just, in my obedience to God, I just can't do this anymore. Sexual purity, which is kind of a rare thing in our society, right? You say, well, I'm saving myself uh, for marriage. Well, why would you do that? Well, I believe that's what God's instruction is for me. People are going to make, criticize you, make fun of you for that. Maybe it's spring break or semester break or this summer uh, people are saying, hey, let's go, go to spring break. They go where? Florida or someplace. People go partying in Florida. You say, well, I, my spring break, I'm going to go mission strip. I'm going to go help this group of people here, this church over here. People are going to say, why would you do that? That's silly, wasting money, wasting your time. You could be partying. Are you going to go on a mission strip? Maybe your lifestyle. You have a, uh, you live under your means, which is really rare in our society, isn't it? Most people try and live beyond their means. You live below your means. You don't buy the new car. You don't buy the bigger house. You don't buy expensive clothes. So you can give to, to, to charities, and you can give to the cause of Christ, and you give to, to missions, and you give to, give to the church. And people are going to say, why would you do that? Why would you buy yourself a new car? Well, I just think this is what God's leading me to do. Now, the second, next point is, is, is difficult, too. But it's really true, and um, got to speak the truth, right? The more you do, the more, obviously for God, the more you do for God, the more pain you'll experience. It's just, just, it's just true. You don't do anything, <laughs> nobody's going to bother you. Someone's described it this way, I like this, terminology you choose the bullets you choose what people are going to shoot at you and we believe that there's spiritual resistance if you're going to do something for God there's a spiritual realm that doesn't like God right it's against God there's going to be conflict so if you're not doing anything for God the evil realm is going to leave you alone the more you do for God the more you're going to upset the evil realm now there's all kinds of illustrations of things that we do that cause, cause pain. I'll give you a couple from our lives and talk about our church. Um, we have four children, most of you know. And some people criticize you for having four children. Don't you know there's seven billion people in the world? That's a, there's enough. Why would you have four children? Probably most of you don't know. Somewhere along the line, at one point, we decided we were going to have as much ch- many children as God wanted us to have. And we didn't have any more at that point. We had a lot of fun trying. We didn't have any more after that. Um, uh, that was up to God. But we could have had a dozen. I don't know. I mean, until my wife calls it the factory closes, till the factory closes. But uh, we didn't. But people criticized us just for having four kids. Uh, most of you know we home educated, homeschooled our kids. Back in 1984, we started. Nobody was doing it back then. Even our family criticized us. Even our people that close to us would tell you, your kids are going to grow up to be idiots, you know, because you're, you're teaching them. The school system's not teaching them. They're going to miss out on all this fun. All right? It's painful, people to say stuff like that to you. Go on the mission field. People say, why would you do that? Why would you leave the United States? Who would want to leave the United States and go live in some other country? Well, that's what God wanted us to do. So that's what we did. As a church, we say every Sunday, we're, we have this vision to be a church for the unchurched. 
We made that decision, I don't know, five, six years ago. It was painful because you know what happened? Some people that were here and been here for a while and been part of this ministry, part of this family, decided they didn't want to be a part of a church like that. And they criticized us for it. And they left. That causes pain. So you have choices to make. You just choose your bullets. It's going to be painful to do what God wants you to do. Jesus is our perfect example in everything, right? Let me ask you a simple question. Did Jesus ever concern himself with what people thought about him? You read the Gospels. Never enter his mind. I just, I, just what the Father wanted, that's all he concerned himself with. But he shows the bullets, and of course the ultimate bullet was the cross. Desire for your sins and mine. How do we live for God instead of for people? Another thing, and this should be encouraging to all of us, extraordinary acts of God often start with ordinary acts of obedience. You and I can do ordinary acts of obedience, right? We can do that. Joseph could do that. He said, okay, at this point, yes, I will marry Mary. Mary, Mary. Now, did he know the details of what that was going to entail? What he was getting himself into, so to speak. Did he know? No, no. He didn't know. He didn't know the details. What's it going to be like being the dad of Jesus, the Messiah? Am I going to spank him? I don't think he needs spanking. He probably would spank us, right? Uh, that, that, that's kind of a weird situation. Uh, what's it going to be like? He had no idea. He didn't know, had no idea when it, he was 12 years old he was going to le- lose him at the temple. And of course, Joseph's not around when, when Jesus has his ministry, but um, Mary sees him criticized, abused, and eventually tortured and, and executed. One reason we don't get the details is, I believe, we can't handle the details. You think Mary and Joseph wanted to hear those details? They didn't want to hear those details. They want to hear the details and within two years they were going to have to go and run off to Egypt to survive and all the kids, the babies in town were going to be slaughtered. We don't want to hear those details. Couldn't handle those details. But in reality, do you and I need to know the details? You ever think about this? Would you want to know when and how you're going to die? Anybody? No, your whole life would be ruined. All you'd be thinking about is that day out there. So we don't need to know. In fact, faith is not knowing. I said this last week. Our responsibility is obedience. Outcome is God's responsibility. So let's get back to our story. All this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message to this, his prophet. And we're going to be reading. This is out of Isaiah. And here it is. He quotes it here. Matthew quotes it. Look, the virgin will conceive a child, give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel, God with us. We call that the incarnation, God in flesh, right? Those of you who are parents or grandparents even. I do this with, uh, with Kirsten when she comes over the house. She loves to play with this little toy train set. It's just a wooden track or a wooden train you have to push with your hand. No, no electricity involved or anything. So what we do is we get down on the floor. We dump the box out and we, I get down on the floor with her. And parents, you all do this. And kids love it when you and I get down on the floor with them, right? And you could call that incarnational playing because you're getting down on their level. And as amazing as this is, God himself incarnating himself, he 
came down to our level. He limited himself to live in a body like yours and mine. Rarely do you get much good, good from uh, fictional TV shows, but I was watching a show this week called uh, Bull. It's about a guy that helps get juries that will help you win your case. And this, this week's episode, he was defending, they were defending a Catholic priest that was being accused of something he knew he didn't do, but he couldn't, you know, say what he had heard in the confessional. So at the end, he obviously, almost always, I think he always wins. <laughs> but anyway, it's TV. And uh, he has this conversation, Dr. Bull has this conversation with this priest on the steps afterwards. And he says, he's, he's not a Jesus believer, a follower, Dr. Bull is, he says to the priest, I admire you. And here's what he said, why? He says, because you're never alone. And the priest just nodded his head, yeah, I'm never alone. Dr. Bull, not being a Jesus follower, is alone. I've been a Jesus follower for a long time. I can't remember what it was like being alone. Because I'm never alone. God's always with me. I have this ongoing conversation with him all the time. I know he's right there, listening, talking all the time. God with us. And if you're a Jesus follower, you believe he's actually dwelling inside of you. And again, if you're not, you, this is kind of hard to comprehend or believe, but that's what we believe. We are empowered from the inside. We are changed from the inside because of <laughs> actual God himself inside of us. So on your outline, I put this. Emmanuel, the concept that God is with us, banishes fear. It's kind of like if you're on the schoolyard and your best friend is the biggest guy on the playground, are you afraid of anybody? You're not afraid. It banishes fear because whoever, your best friend's with you. Well, God, Emmanuel, God Almighty is with you. You don't need to fear. And it also encourages us to take a leap of action or a leap of faith. Well, with God's help, I can do this. It seems impossible. It seems hard. It seems crazy. But Emmanuel, God with me. So at this point, Joseph had a choice to, be, choice to make. People think about me, what God wants me to do. And of course, we know the story, right? Joseph woke up and did as the angel of the Lord woke up and did. I like that. About as fast as you can do it, right? Immediately. But the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. Now notice that word commanded. The angel said, don't be afraid to take Mary to be your wife. Doesn't sound like a command, does it? But when God speaks, whatever God says is what? How many military folks we got here? All right, when you're somebody, uh, what do you call it, higher rank than you says something, is it optional? Do you say, ah, I'll think about that if I want to do that or not. <laughs> you don't have options. But we think it's optional. We read something in the Bible God instructs us to do, some of the things I've shared. And we say, oh, well, I have an option. I can keep myself pure or not. I can get drunk or not. No, 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 no. These aren't optional. <laughs> and they're not, op they shouldn't be optional for us because we wouldn't, shouldn't want them because what God's commands, God's instructions are what's best. Best thing for Joseph was to marry Mary. The best thing for you and I is whatever we read in Scripture. Remember God says to us, things like homeschool your kids. And then the last 
part of the story is this, but he did not have a sexual relationship with her until she, his son was born. So he kept himself from Mary because once the, he was born, he, they, they had a normal marriage, normal sexual relationships, and Jesus had siblings. And he obeyed and named him Jesus. Savior, you and I need a Savior because we can't save ourselves. Meaning, we've messed up our relationship with God and we can't fix it. Heaven's a perfect place. I can't be perfect. I can't can't get there. I can't do it. I can't fix it. So Jesus said, I'll fix it for you because I, God, love you so much. I want to be in relationship with you. And so Jesus came, lived, died, rose again so you and I can have a relationship with God. Now, you have no idea what you and, you and I can set in motion with a single act of obedience to God. We're encouraging to invite somebody to Christmas Eve service. A statistic I read this week, 57% of unchurched people would go to Christmas Eve service if somebody invited them. So if you invite two people, probably one of them will come. That's what the statistic tells you. So we got invite cards out there. Take some with you. Invite some people. You have no idea what's set in motion the single act of obedience to God. Somebody's here today because somebody invited them. This offering for, for missions. You have no idea what, if you sacrifice some, some amount of money to give maybe gifts to some other person, family member, and give to missions. So somebody can sh- tell somebody about Jesus. That person become saved into a relationship with God and they tell somebody else and she can snowball. You and I have no idea. You start giving percentage. We talked about tithe being 10%. Start with some percentage and that more money that you're giving to the cause of Christ. You have no idea. Kind of off the subject, but not. Uh, I've shared with you, the statistic that's just mind-boggling to me is that over 50% of adult Americans are single. So I got to thinking about that in, the, in, in my perspective. I think, okay, is that God's desire? I don't believe it is. Now, some of you, God wants to be single. Jesus was single. That's fine. But some of you are just not being obedient. So what I'm saying is go out on a date, guys and gals, all right? Uh, no idea what you can set in motion, right? That single act. So one sin is dealt with. That's what Jesus came to do. Next slide. Then the consequences of sin can be taken care of. Fear. Worry, anxiety. Once you deal with that relationship with God, God with me, I can get rid of fear. I can get rid of that. I can get rid of shame. I can get rid of guilt. This is endless, right? Let's finish up here. We want to have a baptismal service this morning. We'll be here a little, couple minutes longer than usual. When Jesus comes, he changes everything. We don't have time to talk about it. But those of you that are parents, when that first child came, did your, was your life changed? <laughs> Even when the second one came, or in our case, third one or fourth one. But when that first one comes, Joseph and Mary's life were radically changed. But you need to go, we'll talk about baptism a little bit. Uh, we baptize under the water because we believe that's, well, that's what the word means for one thing. Uh, that's the way we believed it was supposed to be done and that's the way it it exemplifies uh, what the gospel teaches. We're dead to our old life and we're resurrected to life like Jesus. 
But another reason we do that, it's because we're commanded to do that, right? Those commands aren't optional. We're supposed to go into all the world, preach the gospel, and baptize people that step across that line. So if you stepped across that line and you haven't been baptized, you've been, you're being disobedient. Simple thing to do, easy thing to do. But this is a way you can go public with your faith. Say, I'm a Jesus follower. I want people to know because this will be out on the internet and everything. So, so who knows how many people will know? There's no secret Asian Christians, all right? There shouldn't be. Uh, so this is an opportunity to go public. Let me end with this then. What are you, you and I obsessed with? Are we obsessed with what people think about us or what God thinks about us? And that's kind of your homework and reflection. What steps do you need to take to stop living for people and start living fully for God? So I'm going to pray. We're going to do a song, and then we'll have our baptismal service. Father God, thank you. Thank you for the privilege to study your word and talk about it this morning. Hopefully it's been encouraging the folks here, uh, help them understand a little bit. It's an amazing story, and Joseph's uh, obedience is amazing. <clears throat> and it was a simple thing, or maybe not so simple, but it was a one thing in a step. And we all have <clears throat> the next step in obedience, decisions we need to make. God, I pray for the folks here. Some are not Jesus followers. We're delighted that they're here. We, we pray that they'll keep coming uh, and uh, get connected with you. Maybe today is the day somebody steps across that line. Okay, I get it. I need it, I want it, I receive it. Others of us, that next step, maybe it's baptism. Maybe it's time for you to step, go public and say, yes, I'm a Jesus follower. God, just give us the wisdom to know what we should do and the courage to follow through with it. In Jesus' name, amen.